Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, friends of the Tracy Sandler Show, we have a super duper special episode this week because we have Valley Sports' Mike Silver. Mike Silver, who is also the host of the Pass It Down podcast with his daughter and is someone who has a very close relationship with her dad and has always enjoyed sports with her dad. I just really, really love that. Mike, welcome to the Tracy Sandler Show. Thank you so much for having me. That was an amazing intro. So, uh, you know, we're off to a roaring start. I really excel at intros. It's really, it's a place I do well. So so that's That's good. I may go downhill from here, but... It's a good place to excel given that, and let me make sure I have this right, you only have one chance to make a first impression, or so I'm told. That's an excellent point, and that just feels like there's a lot of pressure here, and I hope that I, I, hope I can deliver. Well, because well, uh, think about it, because if you excel at outros or you know salutations, it's still good, but a lot of times you might not get there. Like, you know, if you yeah. excel at intros... You owe, it's like being a great leadoff hitter. You always, you know, make an immediate impact. That's true. If you're a great leadoff hitter, you get on base. It really makes it easier for the guys after you. I am basically the Mookie Betts of intros is what I'm hearing here. I think you're the Ricky Henderson if you want to go like greatest ever. But yeah, you're right. But I think Mookie Betts is the greatest of everything ever. So I think you're going to have to go with Mookie Betts. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> I, think I don't Mookie know. Betts. You would have to say Mookie Blaylock is the greatest Mookie because... Pearl Jam was originally named Mookie Blaylock and supposedly named the album 10 uh, because Mookie wore number 10. But then there's also Mookie from She's Gotta Have It. So it's it's those are the three, I think, that we're talking about. My bets are on my Mookie. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> my bets are on my Mookie. And this Whoa. is where we lost the audience. It was all going <laughs> so well. And then it went downhill. Excels and intros derailed by guests. Okay, here we go. That's basically how it goes. Also derailed by all the 49ers fans who are like, oh, baseball season's over. Is she really back to the Dodgers? But yes, yes, I am, guys. I'm really sorry, but I am. Uh, But we'll start with the 49ers. Here we are. We are heading into week 13 of the season. Are we really heading into week 13 of the season? How did that happen? I know, right? Well, it's really... You know, my time is off because of last year, too, right? So I, last year, I went to the first 49er game, um, regular season game against the Cardinals, like a game because there was no preseason. And then I flew to Seattle for week two, and then it, it became real clear to me and to my then bosses at NFL Network that it didn't make a lot of sense for me to actually be at games. And so that was it. I didn't even go to the Super Bowl. So... My clock and my rhythms and all that are are really, really off anyway. And and I feel like, you know, it's it's very surreal, obviously, for all of society. But, um, you know, that go back to Miami and that magical, you know, night where it's 49ers and Chiefs and it looks like Kyle's going to win one and the Niners are going to win their sixth. And uh, all of a sudden, there's a busted coverage, and Patrick Mahomes is throwing way downfield to Tyreek Hill as he's getting hit by DeForest Buckner. And and Tracy, I remember being in that locker room and talking to so many guys, including DeForest Buckner, and the conversation was very much like, "Well, you guys are going to come back and you know and have another shot." This not that it's you know a given, but that team just seems so mm-hmm. poised for 
sustained success. And it just, you know, it reminds you how quickly things can change. In every way and how quickly things change. I think about being in Miami and I think about how many people around me had COVID. How did I not get COVID? I mean, it's really kind of incredible because there we were living life, having no idea. And whew, and they say that if the Niners had won, given the way things were trending, that that parade could have been a super spreader event. Although I want, I'd love to revisit that now with some scientific people because we we now know right. that outdoors is is very very safe comparatively. So if it were an outdoor parade, it might have been bad, but maybe not as bad. I was someone had me on a TV hit to talk about that a local station and asked my opinion. And I was like, I am, I'm not a scientist. I really have no idea what to tell you about that um, at the time. And then someone on LinkedIn, just so you know how bad social media, it's not just Twitter anymore. Someone on LinkedIn reached out to tell me that I was a loser and a moron for saying that it would have been a super spreader event. And I was like, I didn't say it would be a super spreader event, but I was like, wow, we've really hit the low. When people are sending messages on LinkedIn, I mean, you know. I mean, first of all, yeah, I mean, the, the, that's really wrong. You should be called a loser and a moron because you either didn't have as high opinion of a team as someone else. I mean, that's certainly cause yes. for it. Or if you <laughs> certainly or if you reported or opined on something factual about that team that that person loves, mm-hmm. then clearly it's totally normal that you would be a loser and a moron on LinkedIn or TikTok or anything in between. But um, it's really uncalled for if it's, you know, on that topic. It really is. It really is uncalled for. And then he goes, also, FYI, I'm a Patriots fan. And I was like, of course you are. Yeah, I know, right. (laughs) It's it's beautiful. Although, honestly, like, I just, if I see fan, it doesn't matter. And I hold myself, you know, as a Cal Mm -hmm. alum and fan, I know that I'm terrible as a fan. I get it. Although, I do think there are some distinctions because I've had to think a lot about this. And I used to Mm do mail bag, email reply, you know, live chats. I've done every iteration before Twitter and now obviously Blocktober and and the rest. But here's one thing that I would say makes me less of a horrible fan than many that I encounter. Not that I'm not terrible because I am a fan, but um, here's like... People want affirmation so badly. They want their, you to rank their team high and predict them to win, and it means so much. I just got to tell you, as a Cal fan, like if we were going to the Rose Bowl for the first time in my lifetime and we're having this miracle season and I saw someone on TV or read someone saying, you know, Cal's a joke. The Pac-12 is r- ridiculously bad. They're lucky. They're only getting in because of this and that. I'd be like, that's right. I don't care. I do not need your right. affirmation. I just want the joy of winning sometime. But I don't actually need you to tell me that you think my team is good. I, it's irrelevant to me. So yes. in that one way, I think I'm less of a lousy fan than many. When I first started Fangirl, and it was just Fort Niners Fangirl, it was 2015. And so you may remember the Jim Tom Sulier. Not a great time in Woo! 49er world. It was a rough It was a rough go. And I would do game previews. And they lost every week, except two times. So every week they lost. Every week they lost in some spectacular fashion. And they were a terrible football team. And 
I remember fans would comment on like these game preview videos I did and they're like, you're so negative. (laughs) What do you want me to say? Tell me the positive. They have nice uniforms. Okay. I could just talk about that. But it was so funny. People like, you're so negative. And I'm like, "Uh, are you serious? Blake Gabbert is starting at quarterback right now. And yeah, he just right. threw three interceptions. I don't, I don't know what you want me to tell you right now. But it was always fun. Oh, actually, no, they didn't just win two games. That was Chip Kelly. I think with Tom Sula, they won a good four or five. So we need to. My at, bad. Maybe I was too point, negative. Some point there should be a podcast or an oral history or some an article about the Tom Sula year. I mean, it's like not years, year, but it would be a great year. You know, from but it felt from, like years. From yeah, from Jed York comparing him to Steve Kerr in the press conference to the day that he was fired. Yeah, that was, that was a rough go. Also, maybe the best part was the first game, the Monday night football game where they just dominated the Rams. I think because obviously, and it felt like, Oh, they were right. This Harbaugh guy, he was nothing. Let's do this. And then it just was like, kind of like week one this year where I came roaring out of the gates on Sunday and Monday with, well, one star quarterback was real estranged from his team and then aired all the dirty laundry and they were rolled. And the other one was, you know, fake reconciled and made it act like there was nothing to see here. And that team was killing it. So Aaron Rodgers obviously had the wrong approach and Russell Wilson did it right. And then I'm like, okay, that, that didn't work. But week one overreactions are the best. I mean, that's the best, that's the best thing because you well, have week one. I would it's argue like, oh, this is the greatest, down. this is the greatest year in modern history of week one overreactions because of the extra week now with 17 games. Yes. I would looking back, I feel like some teams literally treated it as the last preseason game. They're like, okay, well, this is obviously yeah. the week that doesn't matter. Like the Bills got killed by the Steelers, mm-hmm. the Packers got rolled by the Saints. Like there were some teams that just were not ready to play. The Lions, who have taken that philosophy and just kept it they're going. Still, Tracy, we'll get to them. They're still in the preseason. They, they may be in the preseason for years to come. But the Lions may be playing preseason football for the and next remember, two And remember, years. the year they went 0-16 under Rod Marinelli, that followed a 4-0 preseason. Just remember. <laughs> remember, it used to be that if you did well in the preseason, historically, you had a terrible season. Yeah, I mean, that used to be like a. I think it used to be that people were looking for some possible correlation, but the only correlation between preseason and regular season was if you were dumb enough to play one of your important players so much that that player got injured, it really messed up your season. I think you actually just solved that mystery. I think that's exactly. That's my. I think that's exactly. I think that's probably a good philosophy. All right. So in theory, we're out of the preseason except for the Lions and maybe. And and I also want to just note for you young people, when I was a kid, imagine this. There were six preseason games and 14 regular season games. Imagine that ratio. Six preseason games. And, And the defending champion played seven because get this. The very first preseason game was the college all-star game in which the defending Super Bowl champion would play all the best returning college players. So imagine that. You've got all these college guys who are like, we're coming up, man. And then you have like 
the defending champs who are like, oh my God, we got to play seven. We don't want to play, but we can't lose to the college kids. So they had to actually play. What a, anyway, I digress. That is, that is crazy. I can't believe, I like can't wrap my head around that. Crazy. I, that is, that is literally, that's literal insanity. I don't like to use the word literally that often, even though I do, but that is literal insanity. Yeah, I'm with you. That's That's amazing. Good, good use. That's crazy. Um, well, so the season, here we are, almost December. Uh, as you mentioned, there are 17 games. There are also seven playoff spots, and now I'm digressing again, but don't you feel like it waters it down a little? It's like, now anybody can go to the playoffs. Yeah. You'll get a playoff I mean, spot. You'll get a playoff spot. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's a fine line. You don't want it to feel NHL. Um, right. You know, where half the teams go, but... It does. I get it from a business perspective, you know, having worked for that league for eight years Mm -hmm. before this, I get why you would do it. Um, You know, it made last year more interesting. Um, You know, the Cardinals were still alive and the Bears got in. The Dolphins were still alive and the Colts got in, you know, and it's going to fall differently in each different year. But, you know, certainly 49er fans were happy, especially a couple of weeks ago. Uh, now I think they have a legitimate path, but a couple of weeks ago they're like, "Well, if you yeah. do the math, we're still kind of in this thing." So um, I don't love it. I, I, you know, I would like it to mean something in the regular season. But the NFL is weird because you've had different theories on: is it better to get a bye week or not get a bye week? Is it better mm-hmm. to, you know, stay in rhythm? So though I think the thing I like least about it is that it's too weird, like too different to be the number one seed than the number two seed. And if I thought that meant a lot, like, wow, if you're the number one seed, you can avoid a game and be, you know, and always be at home. But a lot of teams feel like they'd rather stay in rhythm, but I, I get it when one and two have a different reality than three and four, but one being that much different than two, three and four seems weird to me, but whatever, we'll watch the games and we'll, and we'll get into it. Like we, so you brought up the 49ers, um, and I was going to bring them up anyways. So that worked out really well. And you're right. There are 49ers fans listening to this being like, uh, 49ers fan girl, you should be very happy that there are seven playoff teams right now. Uh, but they are obviously a very different team than they were three weeks ago. I, You and I were at that game. We talked a while uh, pregame, that Arizona game. And they looked like – I mean, it looked like it was time to make reservations in Cabo. Like this yeah. isn't happening. Yeah. And now – they are a different football team. I guess perhaps they hit rock bottom. It's a shame they dug themselves in such a hole. That being said, they have the sixth seed. They're only a game behind the Rams. What changed, Mike Silver? Well, I mean, it's a everything. great question. So I went into this <laughs> season believing that the Niners were clearly the class of the division and, and the class of the NFC, really. And um, I viewed last year as the aberration and 2019 as, mm-hmm. you know, what I could trust more, not that they're exactly the same, but even, you know, before the quarterback stuff was resolved, even before they made the trade, I was like, I think the Niners are going to roll. And I was wrong early on about every single team in the division. I thought the Cardinals had collapsed potential. That's not the case. I thought the Seahawks would do their typical Seahawk thing and just find a way against all odds to be in it. That's not happening. And I thought the Rams, I'm now starting to see, the, the dangerous signs I saw in the Rams are now starting to happen, but mm-hmm. I didn't see them, you know, roll it out to a seven and one start. So, um, 
when I saw you at that game, I was baffled because I thought, okay, now they're going to make a stand. They're, they're, they're at home. They haven't won at home in a hundred years. Colt McCoy's playing, you know, Chase Edmonds went out on the first play. Like Hopkins isn't playing like, come on. And then like Colt McCoy was looking like Joe Montana. And I think I tweeted during that game, you know, guys, I'm beginning to think the 49ers might not be very good at football because I was giving up. And then they played the Rams and it, you know, looked like I thought it was going to look going into the season. And, and you know, the whole Kyle Sean dynamic is amazing to me. And, uh, you know, last year, Kyle beat him twice with his hand tied behind his back, which I'm sure mm-hmm. brought Sean to an even deeper crisis point, which led to the huge swing for Stafford beating out Kyle, which helped, which as Kyle has told me, helped inspire Kyle to make the big swing for the draft pick. And mm-hmm. um, so I thought that was cool. And then they built on it. So um, I guess that's all of a, it's a long way of saying this is the team I thought they were. It, I'm excited that it's happening for them. And I, I think people who take them lightly are doing so at their own peril because when they get that running game going, when that Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, um, you know, running play calling rhythm starts, you know, kicking in and they they're getting some of their guys back and hopefully for them, they will not have horrific injuries, you know, going forward. Um, you know, they're going to be very, very tough out uh, if and when they do get in the playoffs. Yeah. I don't really think anybody wants to play them right now. And you mentioned the running game. They obviously have rookie Elijah Mitchell, who's been a gem. I mean, 133 yards rushing yesterday with a pin in his recently surgically repaired fractured finger. So that's incredible in itself, which I thought was amazing that they were like, yeah, we can protect him during a game. And I was like, how? But they did. I mean, they may, I mean, do you have, it was like, do they have a conversation with the other team? And how did they protect him? But they, they managed to do it. And he said midweek, he knew he was going to play, but then they also have this other upstart running back by the name of Debo Samuel, who some of you may be like, confusing him with the wide receiver. Uh, but I mean, it's really incredible what they've done. Debo's amazing. And also I think it shows, and maybe this is, this is my bias showing here, but I also think it shows a real team first mentality. It shows a lack of ego. I mean, I think Debo wants to do well and play well, but not everybody would be like, sure, just put me where you need to put me and I'll make it happen. Yeah. And you know, when he had that long run uh, yesterday, which he followed with his touchdown run. Um, it, I, I, it, I had this epiphany, like, you know, I, I've seen all the Jerry Rice numerical comparisons because he's off to such a fast start. And I'm like, no, I think the comparison is John Taylor. And so I covered the 49ers starting in 1989, uh, first for the Sacramento Union, now defunct, then the Santa Rosa Press Democrat. Uh, and, yeah. you know, later for Sports Illustrated, um, you know, starting in 94 a lot. And I had grown up a 49er fan in L.A., by the way, which was a whole that's a whole other story. But Welcome to my world. <laughs> I know. Right. I was born in San Francisco. So, um, you know, John Taylor was this guy who, um, first of all, both Jerry Rice and John Taylor were incredible blockers. And this was part of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Bill Walsh offense and later the Mike Shanahan offense starting in 92 when he became the offensive coordinator. And Mike Shanahan carried that mentality later to Denver with Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey. I mean, to, to have that West Coast offense be truly great, the the wideouts have to buy in as blockers um, on the backside, mm-hmm. on the front side, the whole thing. And 
Jerry Rice was amazing at it. And John Taylor might have been even better and was just lethal and, um, you know, amazing at running after the catch. Didn't carry the ball too much. You know, there was the occasional end around, but, um, a, you know, elite runner after the catch and just so tough. And, um, you know, because he didn't talk to the media until I got him to do a Sports Illustrated feature with me late in the 1994 season against all odds. But he didn't talk to the media, at least on the record. Um, he was very mm -hmm. friendly, but um, he didn't get as much pub. You know, football was different then, so they didn't throw it as much. So mm -hmm. his numbers weren't hit you over the head. Um, but true 49er fans and people certainly who were in that building and in that huddle understand how impactful he was and great punt returner, by the way. And so the ferocity with which Debo runs, the unselfishness, the, um, you know, just the, the feeling you get as a, as an observer when he has the ball in his hands in the open field, that to me reminded me a lot of John Taylor. And I, I don't think I, I, some people on Twitter, shockingly, have tried to uh, minimize John no. Taylor's greatness. And no, I, not Twitter. Yeah, no. I know, and I, I don't even want to get into that. But but it's a different game now. But uh, yeah, that's a high high compliment. And um, you know, if I you can start or continue to make these strides, then they may really be onto something for a while. Yeah, they really might. And you mentioned the blocking. I mean, obviously, we know George Kittle is a tremendous blocker and loves it. And then an unsung hero, I also would say tight end Charlie Werner has really been a huge part of this blocking game yeah. over the last several weeks. And he probably doesn't get nearly as much credit as, as he should mm -hmm. uh, on that. And I think they've all bought in. And it's also funny because not only are they playing better, but three weeks ago it was also Kyle lost the locker room, this. I mean, clearly he is not. And I actually – the Ayuk situation is interesting because it for all of the criticism – it was handled correctly because look at him today. And if it had been handled not correctly, things would be very different. And he's imperative and they can't use Debo as a runner if Ayuk doesn't come alive these last several weeks. So they're they're clicking on all yeah. cylinders. Of course, as... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say uh, we're waiting on the results of the Debo MRI. So it sounds like he will miss some time, but it shouldn't be too terribly serious. So we'll see what happens there. But... Um, I was just going to say that. Continue, Mike. Oh, no, I can't remember how I what random digression I was going to throw in to take us off the rails even further. But yeah, no, you're it's you're right about Ayuk. And um, and I don't think Kyle would lose that locker room. I think George Kittle mm -mm. has an outsized presence in that locker room. I don't think George Kittle would let Kyle lose that, let the locker room feel lost from Kyle, at least under current conditions, maybe if things got crazy bad, but uh, they've just got such, you know, you know, this, the, the star players on that team tend to be, you know, exemplary dudes inside a locker room, your Fred mm -hmm. Warners and your George Kittles, um, you know, and, and even guys that have been favorites of mine for a long time, like you bring in a, a Josh Norman or an Alex Mack uh, quietly having guys like that is a big, big, and Josh Norman is an interesting one because he now leads the league in seven forced fumbles, which is pretty incredible. It, and pretty much every week there's some penalty and 49ers fans go crazy. But at the end of the day, the reason he's still on this team is because he is a playmaker. And and I hate to use that word and be all cliche about I mean, it, but he, he is. I mean, he's had an incredible career. I, I 
I, I think grumpy 49er fans who are seeing him late in his career playing with, you know, messed up ribs and gutting it out. Uh, first of all, show some respect for the man. We're talking about one of the elite corners of this era. He's really, mm-hmm. he fights for the ball. He's always around the ball. He's very, very good and proud. And I know he will never complain about playing hurt and all that, but uh, I'm just excited. I, I That fumble stat's amazing, though. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, quick story about Josh Norman. I was making the training camp rounds his rookie year way back when. And I remember I was at this night practice in South Carolina at Wofford College where the Panthers um, both training camp. And I just... I, I swear to God, I think he made interceptions on three plays in a row in a live 11 on 11 ones versus twos intense night practice. And I was like, who is this guy? And I'm like looking at my thing. I'm like, that guy's a rookie. Like he wasn't a first round, you know. And so I, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never shake that memory. Like that guy showed up at training camp and just, you know, was mind blowingly ready from the start. That's awesome. That's a great story. That's a real good Josh Norman story. So we're going to digress a little bit, but not but not too much. But you brought up the Rams, and you said you're, we're now seeing some of the dangers you thought early in the season. Should they be worried? Yeah, I think they have to be worried. And, and you know, I have a lot of faith in Sean McVay and that coaching staff, and I think they'll fight their way through this and, and find a way to be a factor. But, um, you know, what worries you about the Rams is that – a, they're top heavy, right? We know that they are mm-hmm. so all in on certain stars. So my first fear was if one of these key guys gets hurt, it's mm-hmm. it's more ruinous potentially than, you know, for a more well-rounded team. And mm-hmm. so, yes, Robert Woods did get hurt as they signed Odell. If Cooper Cup or, you know, Aaron Donald or Jalen Ramsey – or Stafford goes down, you're like, whoa. Now, so far they haven't, which is cool. Um, you've also got guys who, you know, I talked about your Fred Warners, your George Kittles. I don't know how Jalen Ramsey is after a three-game losing streak or if it goes to four. I, I'm not so mm-hmm. sure he's, in, from what I've heard, that he's an incredible locker room presence. I think Aaron Donald is, but he's more mm-hmm. on the quiet side. Um, you know, Stafford... I think has good leadership qualities, but he's never won a playoff game and, you know, has only played in three. And, you know, Cooper Cup is a uh, is a guy you want, probably, again, more on the quiet side, like Aaron Donald. So, you know, they are all in, and I admire them. I admire them for flouting conventional wisdom and manipulating the cap and trading away future assets and going gung-ho. Like, I like all of it. Um but, you know, the cost of that going badly is very steep. And, and um, you know, the other thing I would say is just, look, you know, Jared Goff and Sean McVay got crossed up and Jared Goff did have turnover issues and continues to on a very talent challenged team right now. But um, nice the people who that. proclaimed that, oh, getting Matthew Stafford instead of Jared Goff is, you know, now Sean and Matthew can complete each other's thoughts, you know with ESP and it's like, I just never thought it was going to be this dramatic um, change. And now I see that Matthew Stafford has become the first quarterback since Matt Schaub infamously in 2013 
to have pick sixes in three consecutive games. Schaub did it in four. I remember vividly. Mm. Um, and so, you know, just think about how people would be processing this if Jared Goff were having these uh, issues and uh, react accordingly. I agree. And I always felt that Matt Stafford taking nothing away from his talent. He is an incredible quarterback, but we don't really know this. The narrative has always been, but he's been on the lions. So, but TBD, he started off really well. He has struggled the last few weeks. How will he react to that? Because he hasn't been on a really solid, good team before. How do you react to that? How do you not let that go downhill? And then there's a lot of egos in that locker room. There's a, yeah. there, that's the other issue with having so many stars. Uh, and I, I think in football, maybe more than any other sport, that can become an issue. But I will, def- I will defend Sean the same way I defend Kyle. I, these are elite level, you know, people in different ways yes. at what they do. And uh, in terms of the, you know, connecting with them and the vibe and fighting his way out of a, a jam, I think Sean will probably figure out a way to, to st- stop the bleeding and get them back in the I have a, a question that's probably a loaded question. You're not going to like it. But if the Rams don't win the Super Bowl, is the season a failure? Oh, no, I think it is. And I, and I respect yeah. that. I Like, I dig that about mm-hmm. them. That's cool. Like, they're they're not, you know, I, I you know, I, as someone who's been prodding the Packers for decades to get after it a little more and mm-hmm. uh, apparently, uh, you know, aligned with a certain frustrated quarterback in that regard – but, um, you know, I, I, kind, I constantly get shouted down by naysayers who are like, oh, you don't understand the job and you can't do that. It's like, no, you can. But if, if you go all in and, you, you know, if you have the guts to try it and it doesn't work, yeah, it might take a while to clean up. I mean, the Saints have been doing that. And I think it's, mm-hmm. it's coming back now without Drew Brees to, to hurt him a little bit, as great a coach as Sean Payton is. But I, I'm comfortable with the fact that the Saints went balls out for all those years and uh, I that's how I would try to run a team personally that's fair that's really fair so then we have the Cowboys another team that's off that was off to a very very strong time start looked like they could potentially be the best team in the NFC for a while they're struggling they're dealing now with the whole COVID mess as well yeah. is this another team that should be worried do you think that that coach has the wherewithal to get them out of this slide that's what I'm not sure of yet Yes. Um, the, the first thing about the Cowboys is there's some good news. Good news, number one, they play in the NFC East. So um, they've yes. got a big, big lead. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we saw what Washington did last year and rallied to win the division. But that was nine and seven. I, you know, I think it's going to mm-hmm. Washington is starting to rally. We'll see how that goes. But, um, you know, they have a nice cushion. Uh, good news, number two, Dak is back. And that was a real, you know, stressful thing especially with how invested mm-hmm. they are, you know, cap percentage-wise in him. So that's great. Um, and good news number three is quietly, while, you know, superficial fandom rolls their eyes and goes, Jerry Jones is his own general manager. What an idiot. Well, whatever they're set up with Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones and Will McClay, who's a great personnel guy, Look who they're picking because it's pretty darn good. Micah Parsons being the most glaring mm-hmm. example. But, you know, some of those draft picks, uh, Diggs, Zach Martin a few years back, That's I mean, they have hit home runs up high enough so that it's a pretty good team. So 
Um, I still have some faith in the Cowboys. I know Mike McCarthy hasn't been perfect, and obviously I'm thinking about him uh, on a deeper level with, with the COVID situation. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he's he won a lot of games and did some really good things in Green Bay. So I, I don't think it's going to be coaching that takes them down. I think they're going to have a chance to show their best selves in January. And if they can, they're they're good enough to win the whole thing. And you bring up a good point. They've drafted so well over the last couple of years. I mean, they really built this football team. Yeah, I guess Jerry Jones shouldn't team. fire himself. And I'm not saying he's no, the I guess he should not. genius, but whatever. He's overseeing a pretty good operation. And by the way, I know Will McClay doesn't seem to want to leave, but if you're an NFL team who's even thinking about a GM change, how are you not trying to Lincoln Riley that guy and just be like, bro, <laughs> we'll pay you anything. Like, I, I mean, he's really good. Yeah, I, you can see it. You can see it in the team they built. I love Dak. And 49ers fans will get so mad at me for this, but I love Dak. And yeah. I am I root for the Cowboys to win every week for that reason. Please don't get mad at me, 49ers fans. But I just, I yeah. think he's great, and I want to see him successful. Steve Weish was on last week, and we talked about, is he the comeback player of the year? I think he is. Well, now you told me I'm following Steve Weish, which is a lot like the Who being asked to follow uh, Hendrix at Monterey Pop for you old people. Except <laughs> I'm not. Except I'm not the Who. But even the Who was like, no, we're not. Fo-. So I okay. Now I got to like step up my game here on the digression. <laughs> oh yeah, did I did I not mention that I had Steve? Yeah, no, that's no. you're doing great though. I just want you to know you're doing awesome. You should well, be very I'm, proud I, of yourself. I need to, I need to because I know Weish is always a plus. <laughs> This next part of the podcast is going to just, it's going to be like my intro. It's just going to skyrocket. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. So let's talk a little AFC because we've given the NFC so much love. Um, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens somehow beat the Browns last night. What an ugly game. I was on a flight back from Santa Clara, so I was following it more through Twitter than uh, getting to see that much of it. But I believe there were four picks from, from Lamar. Uh, but the Ravens, I just would love to hear your thoughts. It's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of up and down. I'm a big Lamar Jackson fan as well, so I'm always rooting for him to do well. But it's been a little, I, for those of you who are listening, you can't tell I'm doing this thing with my hands. It's like wavy thing. It's an up and down <laughs> motion. For those of you on YouTube, you're welcome. Uh, but I just kind of love to hear your thoughts on them and where you think they fall in this AFC race. The AFC is kind of interesting. Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked. Um, last week, uh, I brought back, 32 questions, which is a column I started at Yahoo Sports in 2013, imported mm-hmm. for a year to NFL.com. And it's a rankings, but in, in question format. And um, I do have to rate the teams. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, when people would complain, I would laugh because I'm someone whose rankings do not matter at all in the NFL, right? They rarely matter in anything, except I lost out on a Rose Bowl in 2004 because of rankings like as a cal fan mac brown whining this whole all these rules that no longer exist and a total shaft uh the aaron Rodgers, marshawn lynch cal 2014 mm-hmm. which was number three in the country and the rose bowl desperately wanted them uh was not able to play in that game because of rankings so only i and cal fans should be allowed to complain but other people nonetheless <laughs> complain so anyway i knew I had to pick a number one team. The Packers had just lost. The Cardinals, you know, I I told you about my skepticism with them. Um, You know, Dallas had just lost. It just, you know, I didn't really 
like one. And then I came to the Ravens and I'm like, I'm putting the Ravens one. I just trust them. Uh, I know the defense hasn't been always great, but that defensive coordinator, Don Martindale, is amazing and will get them to that level when it's important. They're so good in close games. Uh, they're so mm-hmm. clutch. They obviously have the greatest kicker ever. And <laughs> I, like you, love Lamar. I just don't, you know, I, I could filibuster about my regard for how good Lamar is. And and I think they'll ascend and they'll, I think they'll be clutch. Um, it's funny. Last night I was eating dinner with my wife and watching, you know, the game in the background late in the first half. And I, I tried to go on one of my Lamar soapboxes to get my wife to appreciate, you know, how great he is. And as I was doing it, he threw interceptions on three consecutive possessions. He literally had three interceptions within two minutes. And then he threw another one in the second half. And I go, you're watching a great player have the worst game he will ever have in his entire life. (laughs) And, you know, and then he threw the crazy touchdown pass and, you know, Mark Andrews made the great. So, you know, look, it's the mark of a good team when your quarterback can have the worst game he may ever have statistically and you still win. And um, I think the Ravens are, uh, you know, if I had to pick one team that I trust the most right now, it would be the Ravens. In the league or in the AFC? Um, I Probably the league, although the Packers okay. to me, I, I probably, I would have probably put the Packers one, but they had literally just lost. But I don't count the Kansas City loss. They've really only lost twice. And one was the week one weird thing. Kansas City, mm-hmm. they didn't have Rodgers and, you know, whatever. My worry about the Packers is they've had so many important players go down. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jair Alexander, will he be back? Will Bakhtiari be back? Will Zadarius Smith be back? You know, that now they've lost uh, Elton Jenkins, which is a, a huge, huge loss. Um, and so if you told me no more injury bad and Jair and Bakhtiari will contribute and maybe Zadarius Smith, I'd probably pick the Packers. Okay. Can I ask you, I did this to Steve too, Super Bowl prediction? I think I, well, I think I just talked myself into Packers Ravens, but I just wanted to make you say it. (laughs) I liked the 49ers before the season and let's play this out, right? If the 49ers get it rolling and we see a 49er Packer playoff game, I mean, I thought that regular season game was extraordinary. A, the way the Packers came out and the way that the LaFleur Hackett, you know, game plan was a just direct, like, you know, attempt to grab Kyle's throat figuratively, which, as you know, based on my Twitter thread and the handshake, there was a lot of, there was a lot there. Um, But then I thought what the 49ers did was stupefyingly great. Like, Mm -hmm. if you take away the crazy Rogers, Rogersness at the end and an epic Mm -hmm. victory for the Packers and it sent the 49ers on a tailspin. But say that didn't happen and the 49ers came back and won that game, that was an epic, epic, epic win that would have, you know, been a big deal in my opinion. The fact that they got back and scored at the end of the half and then, you know, Jimmy mm-hmm. took them down at the end. Um, so that that could have been a big, big moment for them. So if you tell me the Niners are going to get it rolling, the Packers are going to be healthy-ish and they're going to play in the playoffs – I don't, you know, that could be one of the best playoff games, you know, you could ask for. 
that really would be really cool. And you'd be, it'd be January in Green Bay. I mean, it just, it would be epic. And you may remember 49ers several years ago had a January playoff game in Green Bay that was pretty epic many years ago. I've, I've been to, I've been to, Almost all the 49er Packer playoff games, you know, since Favre. And, uh, yeah, some of them haven't been so epic. Some of them have. Some of them have been really, really cold. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I would not complain about a Niners-Packers game somewhere in that seven-team weird thing. I, you know what? I would not complain about it either. I'd be cold, but I wouldn't complain about it. Yes, I'd survive. You <laughs> that's why they invented jackets and scarves. So that's that's good stuff. Um, all right. Before I let you go, we have two more things to discuss. First of all, my Michigan Wolverines oh. finally beat the Ohio State Buckeyes. And your Cal Bears and my Davis Webby 2 beat Stanford. So I feel like we really can bond over these rivalry wins. You know, it's a blue and gold, just a ma- maze, whatever. It's an amazing yeah. convergence of two of the greatest academic institutions in the world that happen to be public, by the way. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the right side of the rivalry starting to restore order. You know, we Cal broke a nine-year losing streak two years ago at Stanford Stadium. We stormed the field. It was unbelievable in dramatic fashion. Last year, they shouldn't have played. It was a fiasco. I was at the game as a stiff, I was one of the cutouts in the, oh, you know, nice. I was in, it was incredible. I was by like Chris Pine and Adam Duritz and Alex Morgan, like Marshawn. That's Eve awesome. It was like, it was awesome, but they shouldn't have played that game. Cal lost in horrible fashion at the end. And so really the next real big game since that epic one, not only did Cal win, but won by 30 and it was just a beautiful thing. And, uh, it, it felt really, really good. But I do feel a real kinship with uh, Michigan, not that we could compete on Michigan's level ever in football. But, um, you know, I thought early Harbaugh, that spot, uh, he got job one year. And I know everyone, he never beat Ohio State. I, I thought they should have won the game with a bad spot. I, I, I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly if that's the exact reason they lost or if it just – kept them from possibly winning. But to me, that was bad. Um, and, you know, Jim and I have had this weird relationship where uh, we were really close for when he was a player and he was the Stanford coach. And so we had this playful, like, kind of like, you know, we're rivals, but, you know, a lot of, you know, fun. And then he became the Niner coach and it just was really different and weird. And he just there's a side of himself, a good side that he that would almost never come out in those contexts that it, it threw me and a lot of people for a loop for a long time. And I didn't like it. Uh, and so uh, now that he's at your alma mater and, and, and his, I feel like, um, you know, we've had some moments where I've tried to get that back. And so I texted him, um, I texted him when his pants caught on fire um, because I <laughs> I actually know some people at Lululemon and they were trying to get a hold of him. And I think I did him a solid, uh, not that it wouldn't have happened without me, but I think I helped facilitate a solid. And, um, and so we've been communicating a little bit. And so I got a great text from him Sunday in response to the one I sent him after the game. And uh, it just like seeing that text from him, he, he's just, he just seems 
really, really happy and really, really happy for the players and for the community. And so, you know, that's a home run, right? When you can get an alum who understands the mm-hmm. school and gets it and bleeds it and then wins. So, you know, Stanford has that with David Shaw. Um, you guys have that with Harbaugh. Like if Ron Rivera, someday I think he will. When Ron Rivera comes back and takes the Cal job, it'll be like that for us. Like a, a true, uh, you know, someone who gets it on such an intrinsic level and uh, and understands that when you win a rivalry game, especially after you've been taking it on the chin for too long, it changes everything. The sky gets bluer and the, you know, it, it just, the songs sound better and it just, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. So congratulations. Thank you. I am. I maybe should be embarrassed to tell you this, but I'm not. I cried. Actual tears came out of my eyes. I was so happy that they won that game. Dude, I, cr- I, I cried like, when Trevon Clark was crossing the goal line to go up seven nothing. <laughs> it was tears of joy. <laughs> but oh yeah, dude. I like. I'll easily cry when you know great things are happening with the axe on the line. It just makes me really. And it was funny, earlier in the week, I'd said to Josh Dubow, who went to Michigan, and I'd said to my family at Thanksgiving, you know what, I assume they're going to lose. That's how I do Michigan football. They're going to lose. And so if they win, I'll be happy, but I assume they're going to lose. And then about... You, you, you realize, like, six- for, you realize for you're, like, that's like a an eight and four season for you is, like, terrible. Yes, like if, that's, if that's the thing. We're like, yeah, baby, this is us. It's our year, baby. <laughs> So six minutes before kickoff, I text my family and I said, I no longer prepare for them to lose. I want them to win so badly because, and it was Charles Woodson in the pregame show. I was like, that's it. They have to win. I need them to win this game. Uh, I'll, I'll give you like, if you want to talk illness. So in 2000, Cal played Stanford in the big game um, at home in the midst of a, uh, they had lost the previous Five big games and I Cal wasn't great and Mm -hmm. optimism was not high. And it was during the um, 2000 election controversy where they still hadn't certified the election. Bush and Gore were still theoretically battling it out. And, um, you know, before the game, a lot of my left leaning friends and I were saying things like, hey, would you trade the election for the axe this year? And we're like, no, of course not. Like, never. And, you know, the game was so, I I believe that was the year that Cal had two punts blocked in the first quarter while Uh our head coach was doubling as the special teams coach. I mean, you just can't make this shit up. And And I got so upset that I tried to leave the stadium, which I would never do. I was at the play. Like, I never leave. And my Mm -hmm. friends kept me from leaving, but the compromise was I would put a fleece sweatshirt over my head and not watch for a while because I was just – and so, you know, they were still losing pretty badly at halftime. And um, my friend Andy, who I grew up with, who went to Stanford, very close friend of mine, actually came over and found us at halftime. And I remember saying to him, like, I don't care, dude, if we win at this point. I'm resigned to losing. I just don't want to be a team that plays such bad football. I don't want to have punts blocked. I just can't watch it anymore. I don't care if we win. I just want to get to the point where we can play 
legitimate football. And I was like, I swear to God. And so now fast forward to third quarter, couple of balls bounce Cal's way. They start rolling. They get back into it. They make this late surge. And we're literally like, we don't care. The end justifies the means. <laughs> and by the way, fuck the election. We just want to win. And, you know, went to overtime, still lost in overtime. So we we, we can't have nice things, but I'll never forget, you know, with all the, all my principle and all my, you know, big picture, this is not that important, went flying out the window with like one breakaway run and like a tip ball that got intercepted. It it just, I'm not rational. Again, if I mentioned that all fans are insane that's the beauty of being a fan it's the beauty of being a fan it's just part of it and you know what if there were no fans there'd be no sport i mean you know it would trickle down and that's that's the last year year there were no fans present it sucked it did so i think we saw what a difference that makes i think i've told you before my dad went to cal and he suffers week after week just as you do so well he's i hope he's uh i hope he enjoyed uh two saturdays ago because it was he did he very much enjoyed Tuesday. And he threw osmosis enjoyed Saturday for me and my older brothers. My older brother also went to Michigan. See, he, so see I, I'm, I'm a really good parent, but he's a smarter and better parent, I would say, because, you know, <laughs> he broke the cycle. Like, my daughter went to Cal, so she's, fit, you know, screwed for mm-hmm. life probably. And then I have two sons at UC Santa Barbara. That was smart because they don't have football, but because they don't have football, oh, that was smart. you know, they're, they're big UCSB they're fans in every sport, but they can still kind of be Cal football fans, which, you know, I I was like, you guys go to Michigan, like go to Alabama, just do something other than this. Alabama. Fair. Um, All right. Before I let you go, this has been awesome. First of all, this has really been so much fun. Steve would be proud. I want you to know that Steve would be (laughs) really proud of your performance today. We'll find out if he, if he listens and watches, but um, we're going to start a new segment here on the Tracy Sandler show. And it is for those of you who don't know this, and some of you may not, the GOAT was not always a positive term. It used to be that the GOAT was the reason you lost the game, like the one person who just brought it all down. Now, of course, the GOAT is the best player of all time. So with that in mind, we are starting a new segment every week. We are going to have good GOAT and bad GOAT of the week. Mike, you can use any sport. We've talked a lot of NFL, so that's probably the direction I'm going to go. So we could we can do that. But I'm going to have you start. Congratulations. You are going to be the first one in the inaugural good goat, bad goat of the week. Who wow. is your good goat and who's your bad goat? And so it's a lot good, of pressure. So good goat, meaning an abbreviation for greatest of all time. So that narrows the field considerably. I see that term <laughs> overused, I, I mean, beyond belief, you know. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I, I'm going to try to come up with a defensible one, and that would be Aaron Rodgers, who, um, yes, uh, sounded crazy recently on a uh, on a different podcast, and uh, yes, um, you know, I would have a spirited debate with him about, you know, what I believe in terms of COVID and vaccines and all that, um, but. Um, I've known for a long time and I just appreciate the, the enduring brilliance. And, you know, I watch closely the Rams Packers game and much less closely the Niners Vikings, but, um, I, 
you know, I heard a lot of talk about how Matthew Stafford must be hurt. He's playing hurt. Seemingly after the bye week, all these injuries became public. It's kind of weird. But, like, you know, I'm not questioning Matthew Stafford's toughness. He's very tough. And I'm watching him make a lot of mistakes and, well, he's hurt. And meanwhile, I'm like, well, this other dude, like, has a broken toe. And, uh, you know, he seems kind of great. So I I don't know. Listen, um, there's a lot of weirdness when it comes to MVP. A lot of times fans treat it like the Heisman, where it's like if one guy has one bad game, especially on national TV, they're like, well, he's out. You know, like Lamar's out. And I don't think it should be that way. I think this would have been a good Derrick Henry MVP year had he stayed healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, don't look now, but last year's MVP may end up being this year's MVP and it won't be undeserved. And um, as far as bad goat, and that's redundant for old people like me, because goat just meant it it wasn't like Mm -hmm. worst of all time. It was just the person who was you could blame for the loss, basically, or for, you know, like the ignominious honor of someone who or dishonor of someone who their mistake usually led to um, something bad. So. You know, you could look at Frank Reich as a coach. I think is a really, really good coach, but somehow, like, forgot that Jonathan Taylor was on his team in the middle of an important game yeah. against the Bucks for like an hour plus. Like he re- he threw twenty six times in a row. Kind of mm-hmm. weird, um, but I'm not. I'm going to do yes. um, Dan Campbell. So I went out to okay. Detroit uh, in June, spent a bunch of time with Dan Campbell, hung out with Jared Goff and saw that whole lions operation. And and I was kind of low key excited. I'm like, yeah, I know they say Dan's a meathead and he did talk about biting people's kneecaps off and all that in the press conference. But, you know, I'm a big Sean Payton guy. Sean kind of groomed him and he's obviously, you know, some of that is just for show. And so I was kind of excited about them as talent deficient as they are. They had a couple of losses that were just brutal, like the Ravens, Justin Tucker's 66-yard field goal off the, you know, uh, the crossbar, and the Vikings. They were about to win, but you know, it's it's been really rough. Well, here they are on Thanksgiving, and they got a real chance to to win that game, and mm-hmm. yet Dan Campbell has taken over the play calling from Anthony Lynn, which I don't think is a great decision when you're talking about kicking them in the teeth and stuff. I, I just feel like play calling might not be your thing. And he's also mm-hmm. spread thin because of it. And in key moments of that Thanksgiving game, while people across America were trying to avoid talking to relatives to annoy them or whatever, we all saw Dan Campbell mismanage his timeouts so badly that it kind of hurt. And I don't know if they would have beat the Bears if he had handled the timeout thing better. But it was it mm-hmm. looked like a guy who was spread too thin and just didn't really know how to do it. And at first I tweeted something like, shouldn't it, you know, how does he not call timeout? And then someone replied later when the wheels came off, he's using them all at once, which pretty much summed up what kind <laughs> of happened. He tried to call three in very, you know, in a very small cluster, but at one point the Bears beat him to it. But uh I'm going to say that the Lions' uh, latest loss, you could call head coach Dan Campbell the goat in the old terminology. Okay. Those are good. My good goat of the week is going to surprise nobody. I could have you guess it or I could just tell it to you. 
Uh, it's got to be probably Jim Harbaugh. Yes, of course it's Jim Harbaugh because he is my hero. Right now, Jim Harbaugh is my hero, and I love Jim Harbaugh right now more than anyone else in sports. I'm gonna at give the you moment. one I'm gonna give you one quick Jim Harbaugh aside. So one of my best friends okay. from Los Angeles growing up went to Michigan. And now his son okay. is not in Michigan, his Human. son's in Michigan law school, his wife, his future wife went to Michigan, like super into it. We're really close. But when he was in school, he told me one time. He goes, dude, Jim Harbaugh was the quarterback. He said, dude, Jim Harbaugh showed up at a lecture in the spring with no shirt on, like a big lecture hall. And he's like kind of greased up and he's like, no shirt. I'm like, come on. This is when we were in college. He goes, I swear to God, I was in the class. No shirt on. So, you know, fast forward to Captain Comeback era when I'm hanging Mm -hmm. out with Jim a lot. I'm right, you know, Sports Illustrated and. Finally, like, I'm having some drinks with Jim, and I was like, so, dude, I'm like, I heard, and he was like, never happened. He's like, no way. And I'm like, dude, it's like my best friend. Like, it definitely happened. I Like, I promise. He's like, never happened. He's like, maybe a wife beater. No way. So I love that Jim was, like, still, like, trying to tell me that, you know, I, this wasn't like hey, I got it from a source. Like, no, it's like literally my best friend told me. So anyway, that Jim Harbaugh, no shirt on in a giant lecture hall. I hope he goes on campus this week with no shirt on. Oh, I don't know. That might be my bad ghost category. And his pants pants have a hole in them. Like, There's a lot going on. Anyway, go ahead, Trey. You tell a lot. Go ahead. And then my bad goat of the week is your good goat of the week. And here is why. Because that man's toe did not need to be all over my Twitter feed. Correct. And I just feel that I I can also put Twitter as the bad goat of the week for everybody posting it. But it is just, there is no reason that I needed to see that man's toe that many times. And so for that, there are probably other reasons I could give Aaron Rodgers bad goat. But not this week. This week, it is just because of his toe. Well, I would would say this. First of all, my first thought was like, Shit, Rex Ryan's like all over this, uh, all over Twitter today. But I I would say this, in fairness to Aaron, so he either grossly miscalculated and or went to crazy town temporarily, I hope, when he went (laughs) on that other podcast and said all those things and then Uh was castigated for it resoundingly by I think more I think he got more of a blowback than he ever believed he would yes and so in fairness to him if you get into that psyche now he makes a joke about COVID toe and the Wall Street Journal writes this whole big article about how he's got COVID toe so in if you're him you're like okay look I'm just gonna take it off and show you the what's going on with my toe because now you've put me in QAnon territory, again, not saying that he didn't help lead people there, but like you're putting me in QAnon territory and now the Wall Street Journal is piling on. I'm just going to clear my name after stepping in it figuratively. I'm going to show you literally the thing that takes the steps and show you that it's not like purple or whatever you think it is. So I agree. Would love to have not seen it. Um, not mm-hmm. a big foot guy anyway. I mean, I just, you know, people have their fetishes. I'm sure there were some people out there who were like, that's great. Uh, I, you and I probably are not in that camp. 
We are definitely not in that camp. And I'm going to stick with my thing because I'm going to argue that he did this to himself. There, there were so many steps along the way. I think when you are at a point in your life where you feel the best way to defend myself is to show people my toe <laughs> on a Zoom call, it is time for you to take stock of who you are and the decisions you've made and take some time with yourself. That is really my feeling on that. And so I, I'm sticking by like it. If, goat. I feel like if Jimmy Garoppolo showed his toe, it would be the most beautiful toe ever created, though. I feel like I'm not Probably. into it. I don't want to see feet. Oh, wait, it's Jimmy's? Okay, I'll look. Wow. Like, that's that's just beautiful. So if you are not Jimmy Garoppolo and you play quarterback in the NFL and you want to keep your feet hidden, feel free. On the other hand, let's, let's put it in perspective. We haven't been in the locker room since that Kansas City 49er game in Miami. True. And so it's an occupational hazard. I mean, especially for, you know, the poor people who happen to be of a female gender and aren't always treated, you know, as professionally in that context and definitely aren't trying to be, you know, hyper aware of everything they see contrary to, you know, bullshit stereotype, right? Like it's, it can be mm-hmm. a stressful thing, especially for women who are trying to do their damn job and not be, you know, like, uh, you know, confronted with, uh, you know, graphic nudity all the time not like you're True. judging just like you prefer to just go about your business as we all would so um we haven't seen a lot for a long time so consider yourself lucky it was just on zoom and it was just a time oh and you put it that way <laughs> i do consider myself lucky but he's still my bad go to the week and that is what hey, that's what we have for you guys I think this has been such a fun episode. Uh, I'm sure you guys loved it. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. This thank you for awesome. having me. And I, I feel bad for me following Steve Weish. And I also feel bad for next week's guest because yes. now, you know, we've set the bar so weird. I don't know if it's high, but like off to the side and like kind of. It's somewhere. The bar yeah. is somewhere. Bar I'm just, is somewhere. I haven't decided where. But the bar is definitely somewhere. Uh, so future guests, beware. It was This one was a lot of fun. Um, if you guys liked what you heard and saw, and I'm sure you did, make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, all of the things. Follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Mike, where can everybody follow you? Well, uh, I'm on Twitter. And if you're able to keep following me either by choice or you know, if you're, if you're not nauseated, um, you can follow me there. Um, I, I might have a different approach to the uh, to that app than some, but uh, it's kind of a Twitch show. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Real Mike Silver, although I haven't really advertised the Instagram thing, so you might see a lot of like family stuff and uh, you know whatever. But um, and then definitely, if you get a chance after you five star this podcast, get a chance if you can and go to the Pass It Down podcast, and yes. if you have a chance to rate, review, subscribe, share. My daughter Natalie and I would be super stoked about that and feel bad, especially for my daughter. She is a Cal alum and so uh, probably won't, you know, maybe she'll see a Rose Bowl in her lifetime uh, for Cal, maybe. probably not in her father's <laughs> lifetime. So uh, take pity on this. And it's a great podcast, you guys. So definitely listen to it and do all the things. And Mike, I will see you at a football stadium soon. Hopefully, very soon. Appreciate it, Tracy. Hopefully very soon. All right, bye.
catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.